Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, our continuation of the Lisk series, the Long Island serial killer series, and our very special guest is a wonderful attorney who's been doing a, a yeoman's job on this, and he is, uh, you know, he's fighting for for the victims of the folks uh, and and the families of the victims in this uh, horrific crime. And again, ten to sixteen people are are dead due to this, and nothing seems to be happening. Uh, the one guy that seems to always be be moving forward, or always uh, seems to be there when something's going on, is Attorney John Ray. And he is, uh, yeah. He, listen, he's been terrific. John Ray, how are you? Uh, good evening, Frank. I'm fine, thank you. Well, listen, Happy I, Father's Day. Yeah, and same to you. And you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the things I usually say is, well, what's new with this? And the truth is, there's really, it's really not a lot new. And and you know, I certainly maintain nothing's. They're not trying to make anything new on this. But I'll, I'll let you speak to it. What? What is new, if anything, on the Lisk investi- uh, in- investigation? Well, there's there are many uh, new developments in a variety of, uh, shall we say, strings or, or chains of evidence uh, that trek across the county and amongst the, shall we say, the I won't use it. Now, not off a crust, but amongst the people who are establishment kind of people, including higher-ups in the police department, higher-ups in business, and such, in all through Suffolk County. Um, so th- there is, in other words, there's a, a, a large network of people involved in, or who have been involved in, many different kinds of illicit, immoral activities that um, touch upon this, this, the Long Island serial killer case or, or even are directly related to it, one or the other. Uh, so th- the web has grown, <laughs> and we've been able to um, learn about many other things that people have done that, that are no good who are in these establishment positions and are uh, somehow their names keep turning up in relation to the the case. So that doesn't mean they're guilty of anything in the case per se, but um, it, 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 the, the patina of the, what shall I call it, but the immoral uh, activity and particularly dealing with sex and drugs and, you know, even you could say organized sex uh, activities and sex industry activities uh, is, is fairly widespread throughout Suffolk County, perhaps elsewhere for all I know, but certainly in the county. Yeah. So well, that's how that's for starters. I mean, that's a general overview of of the problem that we face in investigating this, because, uh, you know, we're not police uh, or FBI people. We're just private. I'm private attorney and I've got people helping me who are private and uh you know, we don't have the capacity to uh, to trace all of these these people and the, their various nefarious activities 
that are connected one with the other. So uh, we're somewhat limited in that regard, but the, the corruption is all there to be seen. Well, listen, one of the one of the things that stand out, well, I mean, everything stands out that you just said there, but one of the things that, that I've been uh, talking about, and, and I think you've been banging the drum on this, that it's it, it's not just it's not just the 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 murders that happen. Maybe there's a bigger picture. There's a there's an overall uh, situation that's going on, and quite frankly, maybe it even gets in the way of of solving the murders because there's so many people involved, and maybe so many people in high places that are. Uh, you know, having, I, I don't know, you, you know, again, uh, you know, weird sex or, or what would be considered uh, unconventional sex. And hopefully those people aren't stopping an investigation or, or, or chasing people away or distracting people away uh, because they, they want to cover themselves up or they're worried that maybe, you know, some guys in law enforcement or some guys in, in, in powerful political positions are involved in some in, in some heavy duty sex situations but you brought this up as a as a general uh, idea i mean you've talked to me you know like off mic about this and do you think it's getting in the way of us getting uh, clear answers do you think that the the activities the the sexual activities of, of politicians and or law enforcement or whatever is it getting in the way of us getting the the straight answers well, you know, perhaps when I just spoke, I wasn't as clear as I would have wished to be, uh, because it's a difficult subject to pin down. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 actually, uh, I wouldn't say that that the, the these perverse activities get in the way because of this. These girls who were murdered, aside from the baby, of course, and the and and the including the. Uh, cross-dressing Asian male, uh, they were involved in sex. That's what their business was, apparently. And so when you say that, and they're all, every one of them is, is in some way uh, connected to the sex industry, then of course you have to look at the sex industry and, and the people who are involved in it. And that would include the sellers of it and the customers and they're pretty broadly they sweep across a, a large part of the establishment in suffolk county and indeed many of them are not paying customers but they're involved in these kinds of perverse activities uh you know in various places in the county and and in turn they're connected with people who were paying for it for sex that is so um, and and were, were involved with people who were sex workers. So so there, the the shall I call it the woven cloth is pretty hard to separate. It doesn't get in the way so much as it makes the job of trying to to trace all of these leads that you get about these this kind of behavior pretty hard to do. It, it, it's so extensive yeah. and very extensive. Well. Frank McKay here, so much more importantly, John Ray is our very special guest, attorney John Ray, and he's just, uh, you know, again, he's he's been keeping, uh, I, I think, hope alive that we'll get this 
thing solved one day and for the victims families i mean if you talk to so many of them and i've spoken to so many of them um or, or reached out to, to so many people that are connected to the uh, victims and they point to john ray as a heroic figure and and you know I'll, I'll tell you what i agree with them frank mckay here much more importantly john ray is our very special guest uh, john i keep saying 10 to 16 uh victims here uh possibly uh, can you clarify what you think the number is i think the number right now is 12 and i'd say that one of them uh, being a, a sort of a what's the right word but uh an indirect victim of of this situation of these killer or killers and that's so because we have the uh you know, Shannon, uh, Gilbert, and the other 10 victims, including the baby, uh, is one set of victims. There's one other, and I count her as the 12th victim. And then there's really 13, actually, in a way, but the 13th isn't dead. And that is Mary Gilbert. Mary Gilbert is dead because she was uh, slaughtered by one of her daughters who was driven mad uh, in, in great part because of the loss of her sister, Shannon, to the Long Island serial killer. And so Sarah uh, lost her mind and uh, slaughtered Mary. And I then became uh, Sarah's lawyer for her murder trial. And I'm still I'm her lawyer on the appeal as well. But Sarah was had lost her sanity because of that. So she's in a way, Mary's a victim in, in a, in a Mary's life is, is victimized in, in a strange, in an odd way, but a real way, by this case. And I think you could also say that Sarah, who's in jail probably for the rest of her life, uh, whether she you know, is, wins the appeal or not, uh, she's a victim too. So you have those, there's all kinds of other people who are spin-off victims. I've, I've interviewed a, a huge number of sex workers who were involved with the various characters in this case uh and they were two were victims real victims some of them with uh you know real serious physical injuries uh by people involved in this circle in this large circle that i'm talking about the sex circle and uh you know i don't mean to say it's a per se you know tight knit group a, a conspiratorial group that's not what i mean to the contrary, I just mean that there's a there's a whole gamut of people who live a loose and, and dirty life uh, and an unfortunate life in the case of the sex workers who, who are who pervaded a good part of public life and uh, societal life in Suffolk County. And they create the atmosphere for this, this uh, Long Island serial killer uh, situation to occur. They create the base for it, the condition for it, and there, therefore, they they may they maintain some guilt, even if they didn't directly do the act. That's that's my. If if you're just joining us, or if you're just turning on your radio a little late, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Attorney John Ray is our very special guest. You're listening to the Lisk series, our continuing series on the Long Island serial killing. Uh, Frank McKay here once again with John Ray. John, the 
idea that Shannon Gilbert has uh, somehow people are saying that she's not a victim in this and it was just happenstance and and so forth. I, I mean, when you when, when you hear things like that, and again, you see what it's done to her. Uh, her life, uh, well, she lost a life, and her mother lost a life. Her sister, in essence, uh, lost her life um, due to this. She lost her mind, and, and she, you know, uh, lost her sanity. But you have spent more time or, or spoken to more of the victims' families and loved ones than anyone else. Uh, do they feel like enough is being done here? I mean, I, I spoke to, you know, and again, through a... Uh, uh, just uh, texting and 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 short uh, short little uh, stints, but um, Megan Waterman's mom and and Ella um, uh, Lorraine Ella, and she said that she's been contacted five times by the Suffolk County Police Department, and, and you know never thoroughly interviewed and um, and you know they didn't they didn't take her computer they didn't take you know whatever and. Most of the time, they just simply call and say, just letting you know, uh, Miss Ella, that, um, that we're working hard on your daughter's case. Now, having said that, I, are the victims' families being thoroughly, I don't know, uh, debriefed on everything that they know? I mean, how are the victims' families playing into all of this? Well, I speak you know, officially for uh, Shannon's family. And they—they uh, they haven't been kept in the in the know in the loop, so to speak, uh, by the police at all, and they, they never were. Uh, there's very little that was told to any of them, and that includes Mary when she was alive. You know, I was her lawyer. Uh, it was true to say that that they—the only time they contacted Mary was when they would find another body and initially believe it was Shannon. And then they'd call Mary, upset her, and uh, when it turned out it wasn't Shannon, they'd just drop her and not talk to her again and until the next party turned up. And when, when that happened, eventually, and they discovered Shannon, they had the uh, I, 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 crudeness is not the right word. It's something more willful than that. They had the temerity to bring Mary, who had expressed her uh, intense uh, suspicion of Peter Hackett uh, as as the killer. They brought Mary to show Mary where her daughter's remains were found in the marsh. They brought Mary up onto the deck of Peter Hackett's home in order to po point this out. And that's the way they treated Mary Gilbert. Um, so, and, and she never forgot that, you know, that, that uh, terrible event. And, and, and so I don't know that the that the victims have been given their due through through this case by the police. Maybe that will change now, I hope, with a new police commissioner coming on board. But up until now, they haven't done very well by the victims, that's for sure. But I don't want to speak for the other victims, uh, you know, the parents, because I don't... I've talked to them, I've interviewed them as far as I've been allowed to, and... Uh, you know, they. I'm not their lawyer, so I don't want them to, you know, think that I've rep misrepresented them. I, I didn't, you know. But but you're yeah. quite right. They they did tell tell me and and uh, Mary when this was all going on that the police weren't keeping in touch with them. 
However, I know when I tried to talk to some of the other uh, victims' mothers, uh, I was told by the police to back off repeatedly. That's so, yeah. So I, 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 I did. <laughs> I, I, you know, if, if I'm asked to do something by the authorities, I obey it. I, listen, I, I just so you know, I, I'm going to say it again, and I've said it all along. I, I'm a big supporter of, of law enforcement. I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, law enforcement, certainly here in Suffolk and Nassau. But uh, I, I'm not questioning uh, the men and women that are, I, I think are dying to to uh, solve this. It, it's it's not the uh, it, you know the, the your average. Uh, police officer that doesn't want to solve this. It's coming from the top, and I honestly, I, I mean, I'm absolutely convinced that they're certainly not. It's a political, uh, to me, it's a it's a political thing that's happening. But I, I won't get into that too much uh, with you. I'm going to let you talk. Um, you you mentioned Hackett, and it, you also mentioned uh, what you're allowed to or or not allowed to do. Uh, I, and again, it, you're. I, you know, I'm not asking you to divulge anything that was on the 911 tape, but that was a, a huge victory for you to get that uh, that appeal. Uh, so congratulations. I think it's the biggest thing that's that's happened in this whole thing. And right before that happened, uh, you know, I don't know, what is it four days before that you, you, got, you got the appeal? And I think we all knew you were going to win uh, and, and get access to the tape. Um I, they came up with this stupid belt, you know, and I, I think it was just a distraction uh, to distract from you, you know, uh, getting a uh, getting a victory or the victims getting a victory. And uh, I, I thought that was just a, a bizarre waste of time, this belt. Uh, and again, you know, it, it, look, I had Guy on. He's talking about uh, Heather Malone, and I'm certainly not down downplaying that. But more importantly, I, I want I, I want everyone to have their story. Uh, what can you tell us, if anything, about the 911 tape that you got access to through the courts? Well, I, I mean, what's what's commonly known in the public, and and via the police themselves, uh, I can talk about. I can talk about uh, what was claimed to be the uh, contents of the tape by the Suffolk County Police Department's homicide detective uh, in a letter to me and to Newsday. I can talk about that. Yeah. I can't. The, the law doesn't, it prevents me from talking about what is on the tape itself. And uh, and so I've, I've abided by that. We understand, uh, yeah. Uh, however, the police put a, a an interesting story out about what was on the tapes back in January of 2012. And the they did that by sending first, having or rather having a detective, a homicide detective named Vincent Steffen send me a letter, a, a very detailed single space, two page letter addressing what was on the tape uh, on Shannon's 23 minute call and other matters as well involving the investigation. And what's very interesting about that is that I had just come into the case some eight days before that letter arrived from Detective Stefan. The way I had uh, entered the case was that 
uh, Mary Gilbert had, through a, uh, a news reporter, had contacted me. We met, we talked, and I agreed to help her to try to get the FBI and the United States Attorney involved in the investigation of, of the disappearance of Shannon, because the, up until that point, the police had botched the job very badly, or so it seemed, and they, there was no FBI present in the case, and that there should have been. So I agreed to do that for her. I agreed to try to accomplish that. And one way we did it was we held a press conference in uh, late December in Oak Beach, right near where the marsh was. And we, we brought a big poster detailing some of the reasons why the FBI ought to become involved. And I also wrote a letter to the United States Attorney to ask for their involvement, as well as holding this press conference. It was at that press conference that I uh, referred to the investigation as a Pink Panther investigation and that the commissioner of police was Inspector Cluso. And uh, that was, I guess, not taken well by the police. So I received <laughs> this letter, eight days letter later from uh, or so from uh, Vincent Steffen. Now, Vincent Steffen was a homicide detective involved in the investigation of Shannon Gilbert's case, and he now claims to have been the first detective to hear the tapes. Uh, but in 2012, he wrote me this detailed letter about what was on the tapes. There are several things unusual about his letter. None of this has been properly investigated because it's, it involves the police themselves. They have to investigate themselves, not something that they're very good at uh, or have been very good at anyway up until now. And one of the things uh, that that's striking is that Stefan, who is a, uh, you know, shall we say, a, almost like a military man in terms of his obedience to his superiors, as I know him to be, or to have been when he was a detective, revealed evidence uh, that, you know, regarding the tape, what he said was on the tape, and he discussed other evidence as well, which is highly unusual for the police. You know, and, and certainly it, it, it's, it's almost bizarre that a guy like Stephens, a soldier in the, in the, in the ranks, in the higher ranks of, of the police, uh, would break rank, as it were, and go AWOL and write such a letter to me. It, it was passing strange. That's the first thing. The second problem that I had with his approach to me was that his letter was written on uh, police detectives union, detectives association stationery, where he signed as the treasurer of the association of the police union. Wow. And uh, how, does, how does a detective involved in the homicide, uh, ongoing homicide case like that, uh, reveal evidence on really a private association stationary and not the police department stationary. There's something passing strange in that fact, and yet he did it. And I got the letter first, and the next strange thing is that the letter uh, was published with, with very minor changes by Detective uh, Stefan sending the letter to Newsday several days, or perhaps about 
weeks, two weeks or so later after it was sent to me. And of course, it's no longer addressed to me, but it, 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 the contents are virtually identical. John, so, so, John, keep your keep your thought. Uh, we we need a, a second part. Don't don't leave us. Frank McKay here. Uh, we're just we're up against it here. This is the end of part one of John Ray and our Lisk series. And as you could hear, he's just he's unbelievable. Uh, everyone, stay tuned for our part two with John Frank McKay signing off for now. John Ray has been our very special guest. We'll see you next week on our Lisk series. Hold on. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, our part two of our conversation with attorney John Ray. And John has done so much on the uh, the case. I, I mean, much more than anyone that, uh, that I, I could think of uh, on getting to the bottom of this and, and fighting certainly for the Gilbert family uh, to to try to get uh, some kind of justice for Shannon Gilbert. And unfortunately, with Shannon's life that was given up that, that led to so many other questions being answered and, well, nothing being answered, let's, let's face it, uh, but being asked. And uh, John Ray uh, is the attorney that's been fighting and fighting and fighting and I uh, got a tremendous victory when he won in the appellate division for uh, to get access. It's amazing that it took so long. Oh my God! But uh, he got access to the 911 tape. Uh, he obviously can't talk. If you heard our first part, uh, he can't talk. He's uh, he's agreed not to, and legal in every legal sense, uh, not to reveal what's on the tape. And there's only so much that he could touch upon. Uh, but again. Hopefully we'll get from John today a little more on on Dr. Charles Peter Hackett and his uh, bizarre behavior during this whole situation. And uh, first, let me reintroduce John Ray. John, how are you? I'm very well. I'm driving home from playing lacrosse and I might lose you on my car if I do call me back. Yeah, no, no problem. Well, listen, let's let's start in where we left off. You, you were talking about a, a letter and this is uh, the the first part. We'll get into that a little later. I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to give us a refresher course on Dr. Peter Hackett. Uh, the you know the most everyone saw the first time everyone got a whiff of of Dr. Hackett was uh, was in a, a documentary where uh, where he was asked I think if he killed those girls and he seemed to fake. To, I mean, to every intelligent eye, he seemed to fake a heart attack or something. And, and someone said, no, it's uh, actually a very close friend, best friend of, uh, of Steve Ballone told me, no, 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 he has a AFib or a defibrillator or something. And, and he defended him, by the way, while also singing his praises, uh, idolizing the man. And that was, uh, you know, maybe the best friend uh, that Steve Ballone's ever had, uh, just sung the praises of of Dr. Peter Hackett. Frank McKay again here with John Ray. John, give us a, a lowdown on Dr. Peter Hackett. Is he somebody that that people should be idolizing, first of all? No, Peter Hackett is not someone anyone should idolize. Uh, Peter Hackett is certainly a chief suspect in the death of Shannon Gilbert. That's why I sued him on behalf of the estate, uh, on behalf of Mary Gilbert and the estate of Shannon Gilbert. 
and uh, that case is ongoing. But he's, Peter Hackett has a quite a, a uh, embarrassing history, personal history, which he himself made public for many years over the course of since the 1980s uh, regarding his own so-called doctoral behavior <laughs> and uh, and he's become a figure of great controversy before he was even involved in the Shannon Gilbert uh, debt but since then his behavior is very consistent his behavior as to Shannon that is and as to Mary Gilbert is very consistent with his personality that developed in these controversies over the years he, he it starts with Peter Hackett uh, becoming the head of emergency medical services for Suffolk County and also becoming the, the official police surgeon of Suffolk County when this man had no uh, he, he had no practice he had no experience in uh, administrative work of that sort he had no he had no credentials whatsoever except that he was an osteopath and uh, he gets appointed to these high positions. So it's extremely likely that that came about from a political appointment. But anyway, there he was. And in those positions, he engaged in exceedingly bizarre behavior uh, all over the county. <laughs> he, 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 for example, he, when he went to the Flight 800 uh, crash, when, you know, the, the, the TWA plane had crashed off the coast of uh, Shirley and Mariches. He went there with uh, the medical examiner to recover bodies. His stories that he told, and he told these stories to, to his fellow employees and to eventually to Newsday, these are the stories that caused great attention to be focused upon him, and he got fired from his job, uh, or jobs, actually, because of these stories. He he would claim that, for example, he is a, he's a man with missing a leg, and he would claim that, and he was old and a very tall, obese fellow, and he would claim that he was uh, helicoptered in by the Coast Guard and dropped down on a on a ladder and and uh, onto the, the deck of a yacht, where he would then dive into the water and recover bodies or pieces of bodies floating in the in the burning oil-covered slick water. He actually told people this is what he did. Wow! And, wow! And. And, and that's reported in Newsday. Uh, he also then claimed that when there was a, there were some men who got injured, workers injured inside of a big uh, empty water tank of some kind, and they were, you know, they had to be recovered. They had injured themselves. He claimed that he rappelled, rappelled down the side inside of the tank to, to uh, bring these men up. This is a, this obese man with one leg. And it turned out that the people that, the men that were going to be saved, uh, weren't saved by him at all. And in fact, the, the workers who showed up on the scene said that Hackett was very troubling getting in the way of everything, and they, they ordered him off the site. He also claimed to have, uh, when there was a fire in a house, he claimed to have crawled uh, sort of combat-like a combat crawl underneath the flames to help to recover the people that were inside. And of course, 
the people uh, who who were there at this at the site where the fire took place said that he wasn't even there. Wow. And these these were wow. some public stories that he told, <laughs> and then he would tell stories about oh my gosh. Uh, fingers. He had a predilection for uh, talking about fingers. And uh, it's kind of an interesting fact when you consider that Shannon is missing some fingers, uh, her bones. Uh, unbelievable. But, hey, John, John give me yeah. one second to remind folks of who they're listening to. Uh, you're just joining us. John Ray, attorney John Ray, is our very special guest, and he is the attorney for the, the Gilbert family. And he is uh, he's just been absolutely terrific on the list. Um, investigation and his own investigation and bringing people in. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, John Ray is our very special guest. Part two of our conversation with John Ray. Uh, John, you you were talking about his fascination with fingers, and he is Dr. Charles Peter Hackett, uh, better known as Dr. Peter Hackett, and who knows if he's even a doctor. Who knows what's going on there, but uh, continue, please. He claimed, with regard to fingers, for example, he claimed that uh, he had his kitchen built in Oak Beach in his house, which was kind of a rundown, bedraggled house. Uh, he had this the kitchen ta- top built so that it would be used both as a kitchen uh, table for his family and as an operating table uh, for people in the community <laughs> of Oak Beach. Wow! And then, wow! And when he and then he claimed that that. He heroically uh, reattached fingers to a man who had his fingers chopped off in some accident in Oak Beach, and he did it on his kitchen table. He claimed that. And, of course, it's it's bizarre and probably nonsense, but that's what he would say. He he also would make up all kinds of stories about how he lost his leg. And to this day, nobody seems to really know how he lost his leg. He claimed, for example, that uh, he, he lost it as a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. He was never a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. He claimed that he lost it in a car accident on Northern State Parkway when a hit-and-run driver hit him as he was, of course, heroically assisting somebody with a flat tire. He also claimed that he lost the leg on on Northern Boulevard. Uh, So it's either Northern Boulevard or Northern State Parkway, depending upon when he told the story. And anybody that lives on Long Island could not mistake those two roadways. You know, it's, so, it sounds like he's lost that leg a, a number of times, and uh, yeah, yeah, and, and different. Yeah, it, it's all bizarre nonsense. But you'll notice that there's a there's a constancy in in these stories, and they deal a lot with blood, with um, people being injured very badly, with violence effectively, and uh, with Hackett's heroic interventions in every case. So, while the police initially took those things to mean that. Hackett was not a suspect because he was too crazy to be so, and he was he was too bizarre and too frivolous to be so. Uh, actually, I can I consider that his such stories as that are it can, are consistent with somebody who has a very uh, twisted mind when it comes to other people and uh, and their and their their uh, injuries, but also and more far more importantly, it's it's. Uh, it's a great cover to hide behind and say, oh, look, I'm just a frivolous, crazy guy. And and the police bought right into that. Wow. So, wow. Uh, you know, that's that's my view. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, sure. and, 
Anyone, and, and not to cut you off here, I'm going to remind folks once again, you're hearing the voice of John Ray, Attorney John Ray, here on the LISC series and uh, our part two with John. And, and if you haven't heard the first part, please binge listen uh, to, to that. It, it's absolutely terrific. And he'll give you a rundown on, on everything. Just, yeah, please be, binge listen to everything that we've been doing here, Frank McKay here, but much more importantly, John Ray, Attorney John Ray, is our very special guest. Uh, Hackett, now you, you mentioned that he was uh, the Suffolk County medical examiner and he was the you know surgeon and all this. What years did he serve? Do we do we have any idea? What what what? Sorry. What years did did Peter Hackett uh, serve as, in these official capacity uh, in in his cof- uh, official capacity in Suffolk County? Yeah, I, I believe it was in the late nineties, uh, and uh, he he was he served under under County Executive Robert Gaffney. Now he may have started under some other county executive, I don't know, but I know he served under Gaffney, and and uh, he, he was he was the head of emergency medical services, not not the medical examiner's office, but uh, and and the police surgeon, which was an honorary title apparently that gave him a uniform. With you know gold braids and a police badge and uh, a police scanner in his car, so uh, or, or some scanner in his car anyway. He was and so he, he was you know he would show up at functions, ceremonial functions and the like in, in that capacity. But he got bounced because apparently there was some misuse of his cell phone and uh, some personal other personal matters. But that was after the bizarre stories became public that i told you about you know john just claimed he claimed to have recovered fingers in in a seat that was floating up from the flight 800 and he knew the fingers would be there he claimed because he had gone as a young man to a recovery site off of uh near kennedy airport as he was driving home from work and he recovered fingers in a seat there and he knew that people's fingers would, would be in the seats that's what he testified to <laughs> what? So start to think about how how, oh. how bizarre that is and what could it mean what, what is it with hackett and fingers my god it's just uh, it's bizarre uh frank mckay here more importantly attorney john ray uh, as our part two uh, part of our conversation with john ray part of our list series we're talking about uh dr peter hackett and uh, the just the bizarre. I mean, I I don't think anybody could hear any of this and and not say it's bizarre, disturbing behavior. Now you mentioned that he he served under Bob Gaffney, and if he had a cell phone, it was probably late uh, late nineties. Uh, the county executive that Bob Gaffney defeated was uh, was Pat Halpin, and he was uh, he was before him, so I guess that was 94, so Halpin served all the way up to 95, so he could have been a holdover from Halpin, and, you know, I guess right. if, if you have a doctor, or supposed a doctor, who knows if this guy's a doctor, uh, with one leg, maybe if you're Bob Gaffney, you don't want to get rid of, uh, you know, a disabled man or, or, or something, you know, right away without giving him a chance. Who knows? I'm speculating, but I will say this. That that Pat Halpin, and, and and again, I you know I I don't know. For all I know, they've never met, even though they live four houses, I believe, away from each other. Pat Pat Halpin, a former county executive, lives four houses away, on Oak Beach, or I did, you know, uh, for the longest time. Uh, 
down the down the uh, you know <laughs> road, just down the road a ways uh, from Peter Hackett, it, it would be almost impossible for me to believe that they don't know each other and they don't know each other well. And, you know, maybe that's where he got in. Maybe he originally was put in by, by Halpin. I don't know, and I'll find that a- answer out, and, and next week we'll uh, we'll try to address that. But, uh, I'll you know, maybe I'll reach out to Pat. Maybe he'll talk. No one seems to want to <laughs> talk to me about this that, uh, that, that could have put any of these these characters in, in office. And, you know, John, the one thing that, the one thing that just disturbs me so much is this area, and and you spoke in the first, in, in the uh, in the first part, our first part, you know about this overall, uh, you know, sexual, uh, deviant sexual behavior going on, and I, somehow or another, everything points to Oak Beach and and Gilgo and West Gilgo. That there's a lot of parties happening, and and from what I understand, uh, Peter Hackett is is a uh, is a guy who uh, attends those parties. Um, I, I've heard stories from different folks, many different folks. Um, and again, I, I I invite Dr. Hackett to come on on the show and would like to talk. But I, you know, almost like he's the Candyman. He he walks around with drugs in his pocket, and and he's a very popular figure at some of these parties. And he he hands out drugs like it's candy or it's it's whatever. I've heard this, and I've heard it from multiple people. And if Dr. Hackett wants to come on, I you know certainly we'll give him his. Uh, his due to, uh, to uh, dispute this. And I'm, you know, just telling him what many other folks have claimed. Have you heard anything like that? That he is, uh, um, you know, he has uh, access to, well, obviously he's a doctor, he has access to drugs, but that he uh, he, he carries them around on him and he kind of gives them out and, and he's been known to give them out to people. Can you say anything uh, in regards to that? Well, there's evidence. We have at various uh, evidences regarding Peter Hackett's uh, career and uh, regarding um, prescriptions and the like. But I, I think that we'll, we'll save that for trial. Um, you know when that comes. But uh, his his reputation, from what we could gather, was was not a very good one. And um, he. <laughs> He's, his behaviors are are not merely bizarre, but they're pointedly, um, what's the right word? Self-serving, and, and, but not necessarily in in a in a completely rational way. Uh, they're self-serving in a way that somebody who has problems, personal problems, might engage in. And certainly, what he did was, and his his, uh, his whole story about. His non-involvement with Shannon Gilbert, his lies that he told about that, are part of what I'm talking about. So, you know, there's a there's a background there. But the the interesting thing is the Oak Beach party analysis that you just gave is part of my whole overarching uh, speech that I gave regarding the these bad and, and corrupted behaviors of of a large number of people involved in this. Oak Beach seems to have been a uh, at least in the past, not maybe not now, but in the past, a, a real center for people who were party animals uh, to, you know, to end up to be, to live there and and to continue their partying, rather like you know people who go out on boats and they tie up in the middle of the Great South Bay and all they do is party, and and that's their 
the votes are an excuse for that. It's, you know, that doesn't make all voting people like that. It makes those kind of people like that. And that's the same thing with Oak Beach. There's probably some pretty decent people there, but there's an awful lot of people who aren't. And they, and they, um, you know, they, they partied into the night, so to speak, and then, you know, into the era that they came from. They came from the 70s and the 80s and came to live there, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s when, that was a, a, a party center. Remember, the Oak Beach Inn was right up the street. Yeah. That, you know, the, the uh, destination center for all kinds of parties. And, and Oak Beach is, was no exception. So, uh, and indeed, when, when uh, Hackett's, w- w- rather, when, when uh, Shannon Gilbert's family went looking for Shannon the week after she disappeared to knock on Hackett's door, lo and behold, he was hosting a party uh, when that happened. So, yeah. um, wow. Just you know, now. nothing wrong with hosting a party no. by itself, but yeah, yeah, I've I've got to imagine uh, that any any party that that Dr. Peter Hackett um, throws has got to be memorable and bizarre, and uh, just judging from his behavior, John, uh, we're going to need you for a part three, uh, and no, and again, right. uh, you know, we're going to need you, we're going to need you more and more. Uh, great job on everything on on the the big victory in the appellate and that i know it's been a while now but uh what a huge victory you had there and i uh, <laughs> everyone's trying to shut you down and you just don't stop you know you don't stop you're dogged and you're you're impressive you're a terrific attorney uh john ray thank you very much for being here all right thank you very much for your compliments and to everyone out there uh please binge listen to everything that we've been doing here. You've been listening to our LISC series and definitely listen to the part one that we did with John. And uh, he's he's terrific. Like I said, he's dogged. And he just described Dr. Peter Hackett uh, the same way. And obviously he, he mentioned he, he's not going to touch it. Uh, he's He's got a trial coming up that, that involves uh, Hackett. Um, you know, extensively. So, you know, I don't blame him for, for not saying anything there, but I, I heard that from so many different people about Hackett. And again, Dr. Hackett, if you're listening, I, I, I invite you, or if you're, there's a friend or relative of Dr. Hackett and they want to defend that claim, I mean, I'll I'll try to bring the other person on uh, or other group of people that have said this to me. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I invite you to come on. It would be great. To, to get to the bottom, and if there is another side of Dr. Hackett that we're not hearing, one that doesn't look like he's faking a heart attack when he's asked by a reporter if he killed women, uh, you know, again, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to see something normal and a normalized situation uh, from Dr. Hackett if it, it, if it so exists. So, again, uh, Frank McKay signing off. John Ray has been our very special guest. You've been listening to our LISC series, and we'll see you next time and next week on our LISC series. We'll see you next time on Breaking.